Well, good morning, everyone. It's good to see you, and uh, hope you, you've had uh, a good fall. Obviously, it's here. The weather's changing a little bit, and the leaves are changing. It's always amazing to me when leaves change. It looks so colorful. I didn't know death always looked that good, but anyway, it's, uh, it's kind of the way it is. It's, they're all dying and changing seasons. Um, one of the things I want to mention, obviously, uh, just again, encouragement, obviously we have things like midterm elections coming up here in November, and just want to encourage you as uh, not only biblical citizens, but uh, citizens of this country to take stock of uh, the issues and the people that are there. We encourage you to be actively voting uh, and do your research on it. We've uh, got some fairly generic uh, forms that inform you a little bit that we put on the back counter on one of the tables if that's helpful to you, but uh, obviously most of your information would be on your own research. But I think as good citizens, we need to be involved in taking opportunity of that. Um, it's always, always interesting to me, and I, it happens on occasion that uh, there's people like for this, in this particular situation won't vote, but complain like crazy about what things are going on. And to me, it's like, look, if you're not gonna vote, then stop complaining. Like, it's just kind of one of those things. But. Anyway, it's opportunity for you to uh, express your biblical values and vote for people and circumstances and things that would uh, contribute to that, and so we encourage you to consider it. I'm going to invite you to bow with me before we step into the scriptures this morning. Well, Heavenly Father, we consider uh, this opportunity to gather together and to be part of the body of Christ uh, one of the greatest privileges that we have that we can rub shoulders with one another and we can be encouraged and speak into one another's life in ways that we are just unable to do at any other time of the week. Uh, it is amazing to have the opportunity to have things like community groups and meeting with individuals that help us in our walk with Christ. There's something just uniquely special about gathering together from all different walks of life and different generations and different ethnic backgrounds to come together to just not only worship together, but to hear your word and to encourage and pray for one another, we ask that you will help us to value the opportunity of what it means to be body of Christ. Father, part of the whole reason to get together is to continue to learn to listen to your voice. And as we dip into the scriptures this morning, we dip into a section that is both profound and subtle at the same time. And as we step into this as it were, mini-series dealing with Mark 4, that we'd allow your spirit to instruct us in fresh new ways. And so as we step into this, we again submit and humble ourselves before your presence, knowing that you are the Lord of all of us and that we live under your headship and pray that uh, you will encourage us to all be deepening our roots with Christ and out of that, the flow of your grace to encourage one another. And so we entrust our time to you and give you thanks for this time together in Christ's name. Amen. One of the uh, stories I know I've mentioned, uh, to me it's the best personal one that I have, is that I had uh, attended a four-year Bible college up in Cairnport, Saskatchewan, which, uh, you know, it's back in Canada, for those of you that don't know where Saskatchewan is, basically straight north, a little bit left, and we're uh, right there. Uh, I had a great four years there and learned a lot of things. Uh, every week they would have what they call a chapel, as many Bible colleges and seminaries have. And I remember that they would bring in speakers all the time. Some of them were fabulous speakers. Others, that wasn't their mission. They might be missionaries and, and do other kinds of ministry, but public speaking was not one of them. And there was a time, and I remember... Uh, 
sitting there listening to it and we had one speaker up there that was, had a different kind of ministry. It wasn't a public ministry, but they were talking about some of the things that they do and uh, they just weren't communicating very well. They were struggling with it and it wasn't their gift. But what bothered me wasn't the speaker, it was us as students because I suddenly noticed that people were starting to pass notes around about how clunky, how did this person become a speaker here and all this kind of stuff and some people were actually making fun of the speaker. And there's something that God did in my heart that kind of went, why are we doing this? We're, we're Christians hope, supposedly gathering together to listen to somebody and even if this is not their gift, why are we making fun of them? Well, the problem was is they weren't captivating us by their eloquence and they weren't giving us great stories that made us laugh. And, and it suddenly occurred to me that as Christians, it's easy for us to be these consumers that want people to entertain us. That we want people to, to do things that keep our imagination energized and I think anybody who speaks and does it on a regular basis understands the weight of not making things like God's word boring, that we're, we're here to engage them in the reality of that truth. But on the other hand, the reality was we should be coming here whether this person bores us to tears. If they bring up God's word at any point, I ought to be hungrily, eagerly looking at that to see whether that truth applies to my life and how it ought to change that the responsibility of listening to God wasn't on the speaker's responsibility to make me listen, it was my responsibility to listen to God through what they were saying. And it has always stuck with me as one of the greatest responsibilities I have. It doesn't matter whether we're worshiping or whether we're listening to someone preach or we're reading our devotions in the morning, God is not responsible to create a dog and pony show for us to be interested that it's only the heart of genuine spirituality and maturity that will always be eager to listen to the voice of God no matter what's going on in terms of the circumstances. And it's always been something that's burdened my heart as to don't put pressure on people to do things that's my responsibility before God. And as we come to this text this morning, we're gonna hear a little bit of the same thing from Jesus. And while I'm going to do more teaching, as it were, in the front end of this, I think there's a really powerful message at the end of it that I want you to try to stay awake for if the first part bores you. Um, I, I, messages like this, I've always tempted to say, I wonder if I could make this really boring for the first 20 minutes and then really land the truth in the next just to make the point. Try not to do that, even though it's always a struggle. But Mark chapter four, verse one, steps into what we often call the parable of the sower. And Jesus now changes his approach to ministry a little bit, where he's now speaking to the crowds and to people a little bit differently than he's been doing it. Up through the first several chapters, it's been pretty plain. Jesus has been preaching the gospel. Repent and believe in the gospel. And so as he engages Israel and he tries to invite them into the reality of who he is and what God's promises are as he fulfills them, he is also running into a lot of opposition. And so his tactic changes, and so in Mark chapter four, verse one, it begins this way. Again, Jesus began to teach beside the sea, and a very large crowd gathered about him so that he got into a boat and sat in it on the sea, and the whole crowd was beside the sea on the land. And he was teaching them many things in parables. And in his teaching, he said to them, listen, behold, a sower went out to sow, and he sowed some seed, or he sowed, and some seed fell upon the path, and birds came and devoured it. Other seed fell on the rocky ground, where it did not have much soil, and immediately it sprang up, 
since it had no depth of soil, and the sun rose, it was scorched, and since it had no root, it withered away. Other seed fell among the thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it, and it yielded no grain. And other seeds fell into good soil and produced grain, growing up and increasingly uh, and increasingly and yielding thirtyfold and sixtyfold and a hundredfold. And he said, He who has ears, let him hear. And when he was alone, those around him with the twelve asked him about the parables. And he said to them, To you it has been given the secrets or the mysteries of the kingdom of God, but for those outside, everything is in parables, so that they may indeed see but not perceive, and may indeed hear but not understand, lest they should turn and be forgiven. I was uh, running across a couple of stories this week, and one was about a child who uh, went to a concert with her father, and a lot of it was, uh, some of it was singing, some of it was instrumental, and uh, the father at one point turned and said, uh, listen, can you hear the flutes? And don't they sound magnificent? And the little child turned around, looked at her father, and she goes, what's a flute? The, the point of the story was that sometimes it's very hard to hear if you don't know what you're listening for. And you will discover that we live in a world that when God speaks, we've got people who have no idea how to recognize that because they hardly even know what God is. They don't know what to listen for because they've never heard his voice. Sometimes you'll run into Christians who feel like they act the very same way, that they're hearing noise, but they don't know how to identify God's voice in the journey. The other story I uh, read about was a little girl who was five who had disobeyed her parents and was sent to her room and after a few minutes, the father went in to talk to her about what she had done, and she was very teary-eyed, very sensitive heart to disobeying and uh, getting the punishment from her parents. And the little girl said, why do we do things wrong, Daddy? And sometimes he says the devil tells us to do things wrong, and we listen to him, I said, uh, he said. And he said, what we need to do is learn to listen to God. And her little daughter's response is, but God isn't talking loud enough. Well, sometimes that's our experience too. We got a lot of voices barking at us in this world. And we've got a lot of things that are going on in our own head. And so for some of us, the issue is we wouldn't recognize God's voice because if we're really being honest about it, we don't know what we're listening for. For others, we've been listening to so many other things, it's really hard to hear what God needs to speak to us about. And it doesn't really matter whether we're talking about a Sunday morning service or you're opening your Bible on Monday morning whether you're listening to podcasts or you're doing research on the web, sometimes we discover that it's really hard to hear the voice of God in the midst of our journey. Yeah, one of my favorite questions to ask people is, what's the Lord been doing in your life this week? And sometimes people have learned that if it, that question's coming, that they can get an answer. But you and I both know that sometimes our struggle is we've been so preoccupied with our stuff that if someone said, how's the Lord been speaking to you or what's he doing in your life, we go, that's a really good question. When Jesus comes to this part of his ministry, he is uh, introducing his audience, as it were, to parables. And so I want to take a minute to try to frame that for you because for most of us, uh, we would take a parable as simply a story that Jesus told to communicate a truth, which in essence would be true. 
But the word parable is used in a lot of different ways. In fact, it's used in ways that we would probably say, that doesn't sound like a parable to me, because we associate it with something like what we're reading here, where Jesus comes up with either a fable or a story, whether it's actually true or it could be true, where Jesus is trying to communicate a particular truth, and so this is what we're most familiar with. If we were giving a definition, there's a couple of ways you could describe it. Something that serves as a model or an example pointing beyond itself for a later realization type or figure. So we have those things, for instance, in Hebrews 9, the statement would be, the things that were built in the Old Testament religious order of Israel was a type, it was an example to help us understand the heavenly realities that we can't see. And so we have a lot of things that God has built into, not only the Old Testament, but even the New Testament, to give us finite human beings the ability to grasp and conceive of things that in some ways are inconceivable. That there are things that are in the third heaven, in the realm of God, and things that we would have a hard time with our limited abilities, as brilliant as sometimes we think we are, would have a hard time grasping it. The other way to think of parables is a narrative or a story uh, of varying lengths designed to illustrate a truth, especially through comparison, illustration, a proverb, or a maxim. Uh, That's kind of what we have in Mark chapter four. We refer to this as the parable of the sower. I'm not really sure that's the best description of it. That's not in the scriptures. That's our title for it. It has actually very little to do with the sower. It has a lot more to do with the seeds and the soils. But the point is, is that this is a parable, whether we can put the right title to it or not, that becomes kind of the cornerstone of all the parables. And Jesus does it because he's dealing with an increasing resistance around him of people. It's amazing to me that Jesus is on the seashore and he's drawing great crowds of people which would look like he's being really successful and yet he knows behind his teaching there are people who are not only deliberately resistant to it but there are others who are just not gonna get it that they're gonna struggle understanding this, and the primary issue is not that Jesus is confusing them with Greek and Hebrew and Aramaic and all that kind of stuff. They're just not getting it because they don't have the right receptive heart for it. And and it creates sort of a precipice of spiritual uh, precariousness where there's individuals who have to deal with the reality of their own heart and, and how resistant they are to the reality of who Christ is. And so the idea is, is that while we can divine it, let the, the idea of a parable can have a lot of different purposes. So let me give you a couple of examples. If you go back into the Old Testament, most of us are familiar with David and him blundering around a few times. And when he had Bathsheba and committed adultery with her and then had her husband killed, then uh, God finally pokes Nathan the prophet in the side and said, here, you need to go and talk to this dude because he's kind of covering this up and he's not dealing with it. And so Nathan goes to him, and if you'll remember, he tells the story of a rich man and a poor man. And the whole story comes down to the reality that the rich man steals from the poor man and uh, exploits his own power in order to do his own thing. And Nathan presents it in such a way where David gets really angry because he goes, well, judgment ought to fall on that rich guy. And Nathan turns around and says, hey, dude, you're the man. And David is crushed by the conviction of the Spirit of God about his own sin and how he has learned to justify it in his own mind and he just hasn't paid attention to the normal realities of what God's word has said 
And so God has to backhand him, as it were, with a story from Nathan to get his attention about the sinfulness of his own heart. The other one is a little bit different. Luke chapter 6, verse 39. Jesus, it says, tells them a parable, but it's simply this. Can a blind man lead a blind man, or will they not both fall into the pit? And it's almost like a proverb rather than a whole narrative and storyline. So when you hear the word parable, your mind probably goes to one kind of thing, like this parable of the seeds and the, and the uh, soil, but it has a lot of different forms, and it shows up in a lot of different ways. In fact, in the New Testament, what you'll discover, that there's probably over 30 different parables or statements or proverbial sayings that we would identify as uh, a parable. So in Matthew 13, you have the parable of the tares. Uh, in Matthew 13, you also have the parable of the leaven, which he's talking about kingdom stuff. But it's again, he's using certain things in this real world to help illustrate spiritual realities of God's kingdom. And that's the beauty of it. God has created our world in such a way that when Jesus steps into it, he can take all kinds of things from real life and help them understand spiritual truths. And many of those are intended to help enlighten people. The unmerciful servant out of Matthew 18 is about the king who forgives his servant who owes him a monstrous amount of debt and can't pay it, and so he's forgiven, and then goes out and finds his fellow servant who owes him very little money but has him thrown in prison because he owes it to him and the king finds out about it drags him in and says you ungrateful servant I forgave you all this and you couldn't even serve, uh, forgive your fellow man throws him in prison till he pays everything which basically means he's probably in prison for the rest of his life unless his family pays uh, the debt. The Good Samaritan is the one that most of us are familiar with this story about uh, this individual who gets injured and then how all the religious leaders and scribes and Pharisees basically pass him by and how the Samaritan helps him and teaching the idea of what does it mean to love your neighbor. And of course, the prodigal son, although there's probably a, a trilogy of parables that fit together rather than just one individual one there, but another example of story that Jesus uses to communicate truth. What we discover is that the purpose of parables can have several different purposes. One is they're to reveal truth by analogy or illustration. Jesus did that about what does it mean to love my neighbor and so he tells him a story that rubs against the, the sort of the cultural barriers that helps people from loving others and breaks those down so that it's the people that you run into that have need regardless of their ethnic disposition. And so Jesus uses it to enlighten and to reveal truth and to communicate truth in such a way that it lands squarely in the lap of the people who are listening. And inevitably, Jesus has a masterful way of dropping in people's laps right where it needs to. And so it leaves people deeply conflicted and convicted about what their next step needs to be. What we're going to discover in this parable in Mark 4 is that it's actually designed to conceal truth from unbelievers. We'll come back to that in a minute, but it's, he's, Jesus is going to say, I'm going to speak to them in, in parables, and there's that very odd statement in the midst of the parable before Jesus explains the meaning of it, where he says, listen, I'm speaking to them in parables, lest they hear this and they repent and are forgiven, which is kind of like, why would, why would you want that? Like, that sounds a little antithetical to the way Jesus is operating. Uh, Jesus doesn't want them to repent. Jesus doesn't want them to change their mind. 
So we'll try to step into that as we go. And then thirdly, to perpetuate truth. There's something about story, there's something about fables and illustrations and proverbs that stick with us. And so sometimes these are given in such a way that uh, Jesus and others who write them want the, the details of the truth they may lose, but they want them to remember this saying so that the truth comes back to mind down the road. So it's not forgotten. It's not dismissed. It's not neglected so that people understand it. So let's, let me take you into the idea of the intent of the parable. That little statement in the middle is interesting, and he says to them, to you it has been given the secret or the mystery of the kingdom of God, but for those who are outside, everything is in parables so that they may indeed see but not perceive and may indeed hear but not understand, lest they should turn and be forgiven. So let me deal with a positive statement first. The one is, Jesus says to his disciples and those who have believed in him, these parables really aren't for you. It has already been given to you the mysteries or the secrets of the kingdom. Now the word given is an important word there. What it, it's, uh, it's a verb, but it is a perfect passive indicative. It's a statement of fact about something that has already happened in the past that has ongoing ramifications or implications. So the point is, even though Jesus is starting now with the parables, he's saying, literally, this isn't for you who believe in me, this is for those who do not believe in me. I have already delivered to you, and I will suggest to you that it's more complex than this, but in the simple fact of the matter, because they've been receptive to Jesus and they believe in who Jesus is, that's the core issue in terms of what Jesus is talking about. If they won't respond to Jesus, it doesn't matter about all the rest of what Jesus is teaching. And Jesus, as he came to Israel, was saying, repent and believe in the gospel. What's the gospel? It's me. I'm the one that God promised would fulfill all the things that we promised to Abraham. And I'm the one that's sort of the linchpin in this. If you don't believe in me, you can buy into all the morality of the law, you can keep all the rules and the religious systems and everything else, but it's not gonna matter if you don't respond to me. So at the core of the, the nature of the kingdom is what's going to be the king, that is Jesus. And so he says, you've, I've already given this to you because you responded to me and you're following me. So in essence, these parables are directed very much, as Jesus says here, to these other people. And so it becomes one of these sort of confusing elements to those who are outside the kingdom of God. Now it makes us stop and pause because the scribes and the Pharisees and Israel, I mean, they're sort of the crown jewel of all the Old Testament statements. They were God's people in the midst of nations around the world that were not God's people. And they were supposed to be a kingdom of priests that were to communicate God's grace and be the mediators, as it were, between God and lost, lost nations. But they sort of abdicated that role because they got themselves in trouble and God's had to discipline them and, and uh, they now have developed a certain sense of identity, but it's all about law and religion and traditions of men, not about God's word and not about who God really is. And so the problem they're facing now is that Jesus is saying, these may be my people Israel and these may be the spiritual leaders, but they're the ones that basically are not part of the kingdom because they have developed a hard heart towards listening to God's word. 
the statement that I want to parallel it with is Matthew 13. Right after this very same statement that Mark makes here about they will hear and they won't understand, they'll see but they won't get it, in Matthew 13, Jesus makes one other really interesting statement. He says, for whoever has, to him more shall be given, and he will have an abundance. But whoever does not have, even what he has shall be taken away from him. Now that sounds really confusing if you're not tracking with what Jesus is talking about. But I will propose to you one of the simplest ways to think about this statement is that it really is making a statement about the spiritual condition of people's hearts. So the idea is, very simply, if there's a person who's receptive to God's word and they embrace it, then more will be given to them. But if they, are, uh, if they don't really have a heart for God, even what they have is going to be taken away from them. So let me illustrate it this way. You get families that grow up in churches, kids that go to a WANA program and they memorize verses, but down the road, they, they've, they've done it because this is what the structure called for, this is what mom and dad made me do, but they have never gotten to a point in their own life where they've internalized it themselves, and so down the road, they just lose it. It becomes meaningless. In a sense, it's taken away, as opposed to it also loses it, because as God keeps speaking into people's lives, we have a choice. We either have a heart that's willing to humble ourselves and receive that truth and learn to say, God, how do I adjust my life to this? Or they drink it in and go, yeah, I know that. But it makes no difference in terms of their heart, their attitude, their values, their belief system, their behaviors. It's, yeah, I know that. Well, I can quote that verse. That's great. But they've, they've, they're literally losing what they already have because they're not personalizing it any particular way. There's no ownership of that reality. There's no personally embracing that truth. Now, I know that's going to bother some of you <laughs> because that raises some questions about people that we know. Man, these, they're, they're grew up with all this. They, you know, doesn't the Bible say if you raise up a child in the way they should go, then they won't depart from it? Well, that's a whole other series of messages. Don't get me going there. But sometimes we've Christianized statements like that to the point where we kind of go, well, if we just drag people through the right kind of structures and systems and religious stuff, then that means they're Christians. I got news for you, it doesn't. It, it, it really is gonna come down to what Jesus is gonna say is that he's kind of prying apart the outward facade and he's looking right down into the heart and he's saying, listen, if you've got a hunger for God and you've got the right heart and you're receptive to truth, more will be given to you. More that will make a difference and be fruitful in your life. But even what you have, even if you grew up with this stuff, you're, it's going to be taken away and you're going to lose it if you don't have the right heart. And that's what Jesus is saying here. It literally will be taken away. And so the intent of the parables have often had this sense of really bringing about condemnation on people who make claims to know God, like the Pharisees and the scribes, but their heart is a mile away from them. We can go all the way through the Old Testament, and that was God's greatest condemnation on his people at times. Hey, they honor me with their lips, but their heart isn't into this at all. They can convince anybody by quoting the right verses and all that kind of stuff, but pff, if you could really see what I could see in terms of their heart, man, they got enough clutter down there to kill off a bull elephant. And so the intent of the parables often had this idea uh, of challenging those who would claim to know God, but don't really. If you go back to Jeremiah chapter five, for instance, verse 21 and 23, 
one of the ideas of parables was this. And I'm coming right into the middle of the phrase and I'm not giving you the whole context, but it, the phrase was, these are a senseless people who have eyes but don't see, who have ears but they don't hear. That's the same language that Jesus is using in Mark chapter four and Matthew chapter 13, Ezekiel chapter 12. Uh, Ezekiel, you dwell in a rebellious house who have eyes to see but they see not. So the primary tenor of what Jesus is saying is that these people may claim to know me, but they have not been listening to me for years. They have heard my word, I've spoken to them through the word, through my prophets, through the king, and they keep hearing it, but they're not paying any attention. They're not owning it in their own heart. And so what happens now at this point is that they, Jesus, when he speaks to them in parables, isn't going to be a compliment. He's not doing this to say, look, I know this truth is boring because familiarity breeds contempt, so I'm going to jazz it up a little bit. I'm going to, I'm going to decorate it. I'm going to put a whole bunch of drama stuff, and we're going to do some real some skits, and I'll have some illustrations, and we'll do all kinds of just so, you, so it becomes alive to you again. He doesn't do that. What he does is in the intent of the parables in terms of Jesus' ministry was that it was to describe the nature of what Jesus was facing. Jesus, in a sense, is, he's obviously a Jew, he's obviously part of Israel, but he's going to come in and he's going to push against all the religion and all the formality and all the structure and all the sacrifices and all the traditions of men and all the rules and regulations that the Pharisees and scribes have created, and Jesus is going to push really hard on that. And he's going to say, listen, life isn't about religion, it's not about keeping rules, it's about a relationship with God. And I'm his personal representative here, and so I'm the one you need to respond to. And so he runs into a tremendous amount of resistance, but it's going to describe his ministry. But it's to expose the problem of hardness of heart and unbelief in the people of Israel. I don't know for sure, but it's, I don't know if the parable itself we can extend it this far, but when we get into it, and we're gonna, I was just gonna blow through this in one sermon, then I went, yeah, I've only got an hour. Nope, I only got five minutes, but anyway. But we'll never get through it, so each week we're gonna take each of the different descriptions of the soils and the seeds, and we're gonna kind of unpack it a little bit and try to get a better sense of it. But the idea here is that three, there's four descriptions of different soils and how seed interact with it. Three of them we're gonna see are really negative. There's only one that's positive. Now, I don't know if we can project from that the idea that probably only one in four people are going to even be responsive to Jesus, but the idea is the majority aren't going to get it. The majority of people that hear this may have hearts that are completely unprepared to respond properly to Jesus. And so when Jesus comes back to this, he's saying, listen, to you, I've already given you what you need. I've, I've already given it to you. So there's literally, you could make the argument that the disciples don't need to know or understand any of the parables that are because those are for the outsiders who are not part of the kingdom of God. Now they're gonna come and ask Jesus and this gets confusing to most people because it's called, okay, well, you've given us the secrets of the kingdom so we get the idea, well, we should have perfect clarity on everything Jesus is teaching. So when the disciples come back and go, uh, I kinda hate to ask this, but like, What? We're going like, they don't get it either? Like, wait a minute, how does that work? I think that misrepresents the nature of the parables, to be honest. We won't get into it today because we don't have time. But the idea doesn't mean that now they have perfect clarity on anything, just like you and I don't have perfect clarity on everything. 
We understand what God's word says, but how it applies and how that seeps into every area of life, I don't have that figured out completely on on lots of different issues. You don't either, I know that. We pretend sometimes we should, and we put pressure on ourselves that we have to have all the answers to everything, but that's why it's a lifelong process. We're gonna be constantly learning. But the idea here is that now that these people have had all this time in history to listen to God's word and they're still not getting it, time's up. The parables really become this sense of concealing the truth from people and hiding it and condemning their unbelief because, and and it's almost kind of an idiomatic sarcasm that Jesus says, well, they're not gonna hear it now and respond and repent. So it's not that Jesus doesn't want them to, but they've hardened their hearts so much that it's almost impossible. So that's why I'm speaking to them in parables. Because not only have they not, they've not only missed the plain speaking of God's words about what to do, but now it's kind of in discipline mode. But I'm going to speak to them in parables, and it's possible, I could theorize, it's possible it might crack through on a hard heart and they might go, oh, nuts. Like, we're way out of line with this. But for the majority, it's going to be, it's just going to bring more condemnation and conceal the truth rather than help them. Why do I say all this? Well, let me remind you, there's literally four points to the idea of interpreting parables. To reveal spiritual truth through the power of pictures, to conceal truth to those who are hard-hearted, to condemn unbelief, and to perpetuate truth. I think one of the dangers we've gotten into in, the, in terms of the pulpit is that because familiarity breeds contempt, we're, we're tempted to keep finding more creative and more dramatic ways to communicate truth. Because we make the assumption that nobody's listening to us anyway. That's on us, not on you. Okay, I'm not saying nobody listens, I'm just saying that's kind of the attitude that we get because we preach stuff and nobody comes back and tells us here's how life is changing, here's what this meant to me. All, yeah, that Pastors get into these sort of routines where they feel sorry for themselves, so we keep creating more dramatic ways to communicate truth. A lot of pastors caught flack over the last 15 years that they've moved away from the scriptures and all they're doing is telling stories and dramatic sort of fables. And they never end up landing back on truth. Well, I think the reason they do that is because they, they're convinced nobody's listening to the word anyway, so I gotta figure out more creative ways to communicate it because then I'm not doing my job. But we have to understand that the basic principle that you see in the Old Testament and even in the New Testament is that the more dramatic God had to be in communicating truth, it basically meant the harder people's hearts were because they weren't listening to plain truth. And so when God uses metaphor, illustration, dramatic communications to Israel, it was because they've stopped listening to God's message, hardened their hearts to the clear proclamation of God's word, and it's developed this massive unbelief. Now, keep it in balance. Jesus often used illustration and story to communicate powerfully a truth that could land in people's lives. And I don't disagree with that. That's why we use illustration. That's why I talk about two little girls and whether they're hearing anything. Because it's meant to bring to life a truth that we're talking about. It gives some concrete reality to what I'm trying to understand. That's not the problem. But the, when the core way of why we, how we communicate is always about story and, and dramatic expression and not just the plain teaching of God's word, then it says, to me it says, there's something wrong. 
that we've become so familiar with God's word and we're so indifferent and neglectful to it now that unless we do a dog and pony show to really keep people's attention, we can tell 300 drokes that they laugh at at least 20 of them, then we're not, communi- we're not doing our job. And nobody's going to listen to it anyway. But we also know the danger of living in America. That we live very much in a consumer, narcissistic culture that can easily affect us. We're used to getting notifications to tell us how to do everything. We don't think for ourselves anymore. This is, this is how we think. It's not necessarily wrong, it's just the way we do it. We, we expect things to be done for us and we've stopped doing a lot of things on our own because that's the way we operate. We can't keep track of everything we're doing anymore. But let me tell you, the one real place where this gets really, really dangerous is when it comes to listening to God's voice. Because if you need God to do a massive dog and prony trick, miracle after miracle, to just get your attention to listen, it says more about us than it does about him. Because if I pick this up and read it and I don't have the integrity to look at the truth and say, all right, God, I don't know, I'm not sure I know what all this means, but it's talking about listening to your voice and hearing your word. I don't want you to have to speak to me in parables and tell me so many stories all the time to get my attention because I think that says more about my heart than it does about your credibility. And we could deal with this for a long time and believe me, this is why I'm breaking it down into like seven sections. Let me ask you this simple question this morning. Do you know how to recognize God's voice? And are you on a daily basis really listening to the Spirit of God whisper the truth of his word on how it's supposed to change the way you you believe and your values and the priorities that you have in life or whether you're supposed to change them? Or do you you pick this up in the morning going, well, you know, I guess I'm supposed to get through the Bible in a year and I'll read these things. Yeah, that was nice, cool, and off we go. One of the things that we've got in a habit, and I don't even know how to address this to some degree, is that some of us want to be eager to listen to God's word, so we listen to like 15 different podcasts a week. And we listen to this person speak and this person speak. I'm kind of like, how in the world do you apply any of that? We love to gobble up stuff and listen to people, and it energizes us mentally and maybe even emotionally, but the question is, are we turning around and embracing truth and actually changing the way I do things because God has spoken to me about how I need to live? See, it's easy to be addicted to looking at truth and at the very same time hardening our heart to it because we're not living truth. And so as we start this, what Jesus does is basically say, yeah, I'm speaking to them in parables because they're done. They've hardened their hearts so much to just the plain truth of my word that we've communicated them time after time after time after time after time. They're just not interested anymore. And so to me, the obvious question I have to ask myself and I ask you is, are you listening to God's voice? on a daily basis? Do you you know how to recognize him speaking into your life? I mean, for some of us, it just means like, well, I guess I should pick this up again and read it because this is the primary way of speaking to me and I haven't touched this thing in months. 
How in the world would we ever expect God to speak to us if we're not even picking up the primary way he's communicated to us? We could say the same thing about prayer. Man, my, my prayer is kind of an afterthought, then how am I ever supposed to listen to the Spirit of God reaffirm God's truth into my heart? But the beauty of it is, is that Jesus has already given us the mysteries of the kingdom who have trusted Jesus Christ as our personal savior. And I wanna plead with you, don't ever allow your heart to become indifferent or hard or apathetic to the truth and the word of God. And, I, and I'm not trying to get my, that's not my responsibility for you. That's not all the podcast, it's not their responsibility to make God's word live for you. It's your responsibility that every day to get up and say, God, I need to hear your voice. I'm gonna be in this so I can do it. And I need to listen to the Spirit of God telling me how I need to live life. Because there's always a danger that you get this spot in life and all of a sudden it's kind of like, you know, I'm a Christian but I'm not very energized about it. It's a, it's a placard on my forehead but it doesn't have any living reality in my heart because I don't hear his voice anymore. Are you hearing his voice? And are you allowing him to shape your beliefs and your values and your behaviors? Or does he need to speak to us in parables? Father, we, we know we live in a world where we're, it, it's easy for us, it's in a sense a bit of a confession on our part that we can be really narcissistic, we can get into sort of this consumer thing where we're gonna handpick things that we hear from you and only the stuff that really jazzes us we're gonna pay attention to. Father, I just pray you'd give us the courage to resist that temptation. Father, help us to value our relationship with Christ because he's not just giving us moralisms and he's not just giving us cute little sayings so that we can have something we can post on Facebook or Instagram. You want to change our life. And for those of us that have put faith and trust in Jesus, I believe that we have already been given the mysteries of the kingdom this idea that we have this living relationship with Jesus, and I pray that you will help us to value that above our circumstances and the voices that we're hearing in this world and the clutter that we create in our own life and to really allow that to shape what we do every single day. And Father, if we've been having a hard time hearing your voice, I pray we just get before your throne of grace and say, God, I'm screwing this up. I... I I think I'm a Christian, but I have been paying very little attention to who you are, and I'm certainly not listening to your voice. Because I know that he would be more than eager before it's too late to forgive us and to refresh our relationship with him so that we hear his voice and walk with him every day. And for this we pray in Christ's name, amen.